what he's calling people to do is to have hope because they've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection. There's only one option, a living hope. How someone born again by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Overcoming the doubting Thomas in all of us. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Jesus said something profound to Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. With this in mind, here's David with the conclusion of his message, A Living Hope. The next doctrine is the doctrine of the inheritance of the saints in verses 4, 8, and 9. What does that mean? It means that the promises that God has given to us about heaven will happen. Our bodies will be made whole. We will have eternal life with God in heaven. There will be a place that has no disease, turmoil, trials, or difficulties. That place is promised to us. In fact, Peter says that we're kept for that particular place. We are guarded for that last time. I love that word kept. You know, in a bad way, some men say, I got a kept woman. Well, what does that mean? He's hidden her, but she's secure anytime he needs her. I have kept my money in a safe that nobody knows where it is. That means that money is secure. Well, God has kept you as one of his saints, as a perfect vessel, guaranteed heaven one day. And that heaven is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Peter says. It's perfect in every way, and it's guaranteed you. If God's the one who initiated the gift of salvation, you can't give it back to him. And if you truly believe the security of your eternal salvation, that should give you what today? Hope. It should give you hope today. And then there is the doctrine of the second coming in verse 5, to be revealed at the last time. Remember, God stands over history. He created history. He's not in history. He's not worried about what's going to happen in the next moment. God's not in heaven biting his celestial eternal fangle nails, nails going, oh no, who's going to be elected president of the United States? <laughs> Folks, I do not have a federalistic Christian faith. What does that mean? My faith is not in the president of the United States. My faith is in the God who sits on the throne of all the heavens, who oversees the United States and all nations. I don't have a federalistic view of my Christian faith. I have a faith in God who oversees everything. So this God who oversees everything, who knows what's going to happen next, who sees the beginning and the end, he knows the end's gonna happen. There's a day when he wins, will send Jesus again and this world will be made complete. That means that all those people who've hurt you, they don't get away with it. All those mass murderers, they don't get away with it. All those injustices in the world, they don't get away with it. One day God will come back and make all things right and perfect justice will rule in his world that he created. Now, if that's true and you believe that Jesus is coming back and will make all things right one day, that should give your heart huge what? Hope. And then there's the doctrine of the Holy Scripture in verses 11 and 12. I love this. I love this. Peter says... The Old Testament prophets prophesied and looked forward to the day of the cross of Christ. They looked forward to the day of the gospel being preached. Now, Peter says the Holy Spirit was the one who inspired them to write their words and to look forward to the future. Did you know there are 125 different 
prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in specificity in the New Testament. 125. Now, if you just take eight of those and you look at the probability factor of eight prophecies out of 125 being fulfilled in specificity in the New Testament, the odds of that happening are 10 to the 17th power. Or more specifically, it's one with 17 zeros after it. And you doubt the authority of the Old Testament? You doubt it's God breathed and the Holy Spirit himself didn't write through those prophets those words? And then you ask, well, what about the New Testament? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you so much. The opening part of these verses, Peter says, I, Peter, an apostle. What does that mean? It means he's one of the 12. And Peter told those, I mean, excuse me, Jesus told those apostles, when you go out into the world, when you speak and when you write, you're speaking and writing my very words. Now, if Jesus is God, which is what he claimed, that means that when they spoke and wrote, they're speaking the word of God. So, the Gospels, Matthew, one of the 12. Mark gave the words of Peter. Luke gave the words of Paul. John, one of the apostles. Those gospel accounts were written by apostles, so therefore they're very words of Jesus himself. And when they wrote letters to the churches, which is basically Romans through Revelation, they were correcting wrong doctrine and giving right behavior for people who were followers of Jesus, First and Second Peter being two of those letters. And when they wrote, they clearly understood it. That's why they would say, I, Paul, an apostle. I, John, an apostle. I, Peter, an apostle. They knew they were clearly stating to people, these words I'm writing to you are the words of Jesus himself. And if they're the words of Jesus himself, they're the words of God himself. That means that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God. God breathed, God inspired, and you don't have the privilege of saying, that book's not true. But if you do believe that book, and all of its 7,464 promises, and all that it teaches and gives you about your life now and your future, you should have what? Great hope as you read this book and you believe it's true. I'm overcome today with the amount of biblical illiteracy in the church today. Folks, that's your fault. You've got to make choices to read know, understand, and obey this book. This is what will set you apart from others who even call themselves believers in Christ. And this will cause you to be a little bit of an ex elect exile. But it's true. The doctrine of the scripture, though, should give you hope in your future. Now, the evidence of that hope, according to Peter, is inexpressible joy. I love that term that... Peter used inexpressible joy. There's no words to describe the kind of joy that we should know in Christ. It's just indescribable, just unbelievable. It should ruminate and edify and be evident to everybody out there of the Christ who lives in us, an inexpressible joy. <laughs> Peter says, though you've not seen Jesus, yet you still believe in him. That's the key to inexpressible joy, too. In the 20th chapter of John, Thomas, one of the disciples, wasn't with the other disciples in one of Jesus' resurrection appearances. Jesus did appear later on, and Thomas had said in between, you know, unless I touch the wounds in his hand and on his side, I'll not believe. Jesus appears to him and shows him the wounds. There's no evidence he actually touched them, but he showed him the wounds. 
And Thomas falls to his knees and cries out, my Lord and my God. He worships Jesus. And then Jesus says something very powerful. He says, Thomas, you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen, yet still believe. How many of you want to be blessed by God? How many of you want a supernatural touch of God? All of us do. Then continue to believe, though you've not seen. Blessed are those who continue to believe, but have not seen. Need to give you this warning. Even though there's great joy and hope in our lives as followers of Jesus, Peter gives us a warning. There will be various trials. Drat. I looked up the word various in the dictionary this week. Guess what it means? Various. All different kinds of ones. There are physical trials. There are relational trials. There are vocational trials. There are all kinds of them. And just when you think you're getting out of one, it seems like another comes your way, doesn't it? There are various trials. And Peter says that in these various trials, God's doing something. The God who sits over all history, he sees what's going to happen next to you. And what he's doing in these various trials, if you'll continue to believe, he's refining your faith like gold. When you drop gold into fire, it removes all the dross and impurities. The various trials God uses to burn off all of those places that are impure before him. That God's much more concerned with you having a golden faith than he is a golden life. And if you really believe he's working all things together for good and his victory, you have hope. Let me give you a personal illustration. Our, Our Michael, our youngest son, was enjoying swimming. He was a good college swimmer. Um, he was having some sense of accomplishment. At a meet down in Athens, Georgia, I couldn't go. Marilyn went, and she texted me and said, uh, your youngest son in the 100 free just put up the fastest time in the world this year. What? Little guy graduated from high school, 6'5", 150 pounds. Takes after his dad, doesn't he? Okay. I was so proud. But suddenly, our son, who had gotten some notoriety with swimming, but not a whole lot, is thrust into the international spotlight. And there's a lot of chatter going around that Michael Chadwick could make the Olympic team and go to Rio. At the end of the year, with all the other American times, he was in the top six times, and that was great news because... With the Olympic team in the 100 free, you can make a relay, the top six get on the team. In all the other events, only the top two get on the team. So he had a chance, a real chance. So we got to Omaha, and what happens is all the hundreds swim in the events, and with the 100 free, for example, you try to go to the top 16, which was a piece of cake for Michael, supposedly, then go to the top eight, And then you swim off the top eight, and all you got to do is beat two people, and you're on the team. So Michael swims in the first large group to get to 16. He dives into the water. Never happened to him before in thousands of dives. But the force of his hands hit the water, and somehow his left arm was pulled back behind him. 
He veered off to the left, almost had a DQ getting in the lane next to him, but he suddenly swam a furious race and tried to catch up. But at the end of the event, he was 18th. Couldn't catch up. Well, just so you can know a little bit of the story, Ryan Lochte, who Michael knows, swam with him at Swim Mac. They became really close friends. Ryan Lochte finished 11th, and he went to the coaches and said, I'll give my spot so Michael Chadwick can swim. But that makes Michael 17th. He still needs one more. And they went to a few others and asked them if they'd be willing to give up their spot, knowing that that wasn't their event, they weren't going to make the team, and nobody would do it. Michael finished 17th. All of his hard work, all that he'd put forth that effort for, done. He's on a heap on the pool deck, and his college coach comes up to him. And by the way, for those of you who have young kids and they're playing sports, try as best you can to put them under a godly Christian coach. Because next to their parents, that person will have the greatest impact on their lives. And he came up to Michael when he's on the pile on the pool deck, his dreams shattered, his disappointment real. And he says, Michael, get up. Get up. You can't stay there. You got to get up. Michael gets up and Coach Greg Rodebaugh puts his arm around him, starts walking with him, said, walk with me around the pool. And as they walk around the pool, Greg says words like these to my son, and I'll be forever indebted. Michael, the Lord must not have wanted you to go to Rio. If he'd wanted you to go to Rio, you'd go to Rio. But he must not have desired that. And I don't know what he's doing in all this, but he knows. you just got to trust him. you got to trust him. And slowly but surely, those words of hope gave my son back his equilibrium. It took him a while, but they came back. But here's what I want to share with you that's the rest of the story. As I share with you, Michael was very good friends with Ryan Lochte. They trained together. Two other of his close friends were Gunnar Bentz and Jack Conger. He swims against them in college. So Meryl and I are watching TV one evening, and we all of a sudden see the running line at the bottom of the screen. Ryan Lochte and three other swimmers arrested by the Brazilian police for falsifying reports and all kinds of crazy, strange behavior, all of them supposedly intoxicated. And I said, Marilyn, did you just see that? She said, then the phone rings. It's Michael. Put him on speakerphone. Mom, Dad, are you seeing what's happening? Yep, sure do, son. What do you think of this? He paused for a second. He said, if I'd made the team, I'd have been there. He said, Dad, I know I would have been there. He said, I wouldn't have drunk because I don't do that. But he said, I would have been there. And Jack and Gunnar are good friends. I'd have been there. They'd invited me to go, and I would have gone. And then we both began to process what it would have been like for Michael Chadwick, who has a deep faith in Jesus Christ and is unashamed about sharing it, what he would have had to deal with with a press that would have loved to taken a good Christian kid and said he was drunk in the middle of the night, urinating in the back of a Brazilian filling station. And what it would have been like for him to fly back to Charlotte 
and get off the plane. Do you think the Charlotte Observer would have liked that story and what they might have said about me? Defending ourselves? No, but he wasn't really drinking. And for the rest of his life, he would not have been remembered. For a kid that won a gold medal, he would have been remembered as one of those out late at night, drunk with Ryan Lochte. So maybe, just maybe, the God who oversees history was protecting my son from something far worse. Maybe God understands rejection is God's protection. Some of you girls who have had that awful guy treat you awfully and has left you, you should praise God for his departure. Praise God that he's gone and not hurting you anymore. And that boss who fired you from that job, you at the moment go, oh no, but God's protecting you from something worse. He's got something even better for you. Rejection is God's protection. And Meryl and I thought, so what if we'd had a gold medal hung up in our living room? Every time we'd have walked by it, we'd had a hurt in our heart for the ways that our child would have probably been wrongly caricatured. And I'm convinced of it, folks. And I believe that God is doing a gold medal work in his heart that's far more important than giving him a literal gold medal. That's what I think the Lord's doing. And I think he's doing the same thing with you. So, so in your various trials, could you believe that the God of history knows the next step and he sees the next step? And what you think's the next step, it shouldn't be the next step. And God is protecting you from something that could really hurt you. And if you really, really believe that, what should happen in your heart? You should have hope. You should have hope that God's doing something with the gold of your faith, getting rid of all those impurities. Oh, by the way, for those of you who still have dreams, please know I'm not trying to shatter your dreams. You keep chasing after your dreams. Just trust God that he knows how he's guiding you. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about ways parents can connect with their kids. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. It's great being with you as well, Jen. Well, you called this morning's Moment of Hope, you are only as happy as your happiest child. All right, you've got our interest. (laughs) Well, this is a parenting tip. You know, my wife and I have three children and now eight grandchildren, so this may very well go into grandchildren as well, but it's just a life lesson that we've learned. It's a parenting tip perhaps to all those who are out there, especially maybe younger parents Mm -hmm. who may not realize this yet, but it's true. You're only as happy as your happiest child. We all want the peace and blessing and happiness of our children. That's Isaiah 54, 13. It's a desire in every parent's heart, but here's the truth is if you have several children, they're going to be times when one or two or maybe all of them are unhappy. You could have 10 children, and if one's unhappy, your heart's going to be unhappy as well. So perhaps this is a strategic parenting tip I'm just giving to people out there listening who may not have experienced this yet fully. Uh, You'll go through this. If you love your children, you'll hurt with them. Mm. You will feel their pain when they're going through tough times, and that's okay. Okay. It's the way it's supposed to be. Parents empathically feel what their children feel. I think God created it that way. And you are to rush to them and care for them. You're not to intercede for them and keep them from suffering the consequences, for example, of their bad decisions. That's a wrong parenting tip. But if you do love them, you're going to want to care for them and at least continue to pray for them and hope soon they'll get well. Well, this is really profound for me. And it reminds me of the scripture where Jesus told his his disciples that he wished he could be like a mother hen and just gather them under his wings. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biblical examples of a mother characteristic of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we do call him Abba and Daddy, there are examples and metaphors in the Bible of a mothering kind of God as well. And you chose one example there, Jen, that's powerful when Jesus said, How often I wanted to gather you under my wings as a mother hen does her brood, Mm -hmm. but you would not. That was done in the context of Jesus entering Jerusalem and the people crying out, oh, Hosanna, Hosanna, but they had no clue what it meant to really follow Jesus. And within five days, those same people crying out Hosanna were crying out, crucify him Mm. as well. So he wanted to gather them under his wings as a mother hen does his brood, loving them deeply and powerfully, but they would not. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think we as parents have the power to be able to empathize with our children and pull them up because we should be more mature and be able to give them hope. And and I know I've had to do this plenty of times as a mom. And you know, sometimes you have to dig deep to do that because we have feelings and we want to be grouchy too, but we get to pull them up. Well, we we should. And, and, And I think you're speaking to the connection that every parent should have with their kids. And you do love them deeply. You can't live through them. That's a danger as well when you're close to them. But you do feel what they feel. And, And I can say this now as all three of my children are adult children, even when they hurt now. 
Marilyn and I hurt with them as well. Mm. That that idea of always being connected to them doesn't fade mm. as they get older. In fact, I would say it maybe even increases yeah. as they age. You always feel what they feel. You just love them so deeply. And wow. that's a good thing. That is a good thing. What a good father. What a reflection of our Heavenly Father. Yeah. This is profound and beautiful. Thank and, you. And the Father in Heaven suffers with us when we hurt. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'm a Christian is I follow a God on a cross who suffers with me when I hurt. I hope this gives you a word of encouragement, listeners, today and forever. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to remember and pray for those who may experience loneliness this Christmas season. 